0: Thank you for joining us for this special Friday edition of Main Thing Radio. Today, guest speakers Peter and Cynthia Shepard will continue tackling life issues from a married perspective.
1: But he knew perfectly what he had planned for me. And so before I could put those plans into any kind of progress, he had to humble me like King Nebuchadnezzar. And he had to push me down and make it for years and years until I could look up and say, you are the Lord my God. And then I could finally understand that he was preparing me for this work. And it's been incredible to see how he supplied for those needs like he supplied for Nehemiah from the king's
0: forest. We need to plan and prepare ourselves for the mission God has given each of us. As we study the story of Nehemiah, we will learn that we should expose our needs so that we can gather the supplies that we need to accomplish our calling. Peter and Cynthia will share the testimony of how God is provided as they prepare for their ministry. Stick around after today's message from our special guest speakers. I have quite a bit of information that I'd like to share with you our web address, podcast subscription information, and our contact information. Now here are Peter and Cynthia with today's message.
2: His love is the main thing. I'm
1: going to do this amazing thing for missions work, and it's great to see the passion and the desire, but a lot of times, what happens is it doesn't come to fruition, whether you know, because they weren't planning or they weren't thinking, okay, is this God giving this to me, or is this my own desire, right? Is this something that God is driving me to do, or is this something that, that I'm driving myself to do? And so sometimes we have to ask ourselves those questions and understand what is God giving us compassion for to be able to go work on? You know, a lot of times that can happen in our lives and we need to just pray and ask God like Nehemiah was doing and those things. A lot of people ask us, what is missions aviation work uh, and the road that we're preparing for and the cost that we have to count for that? And so I'm going to give you a a brief explanation. Mission aviators usually prepare eight years before they go on the mission field. It's an eight-year process. So unlike, you know, a lot of times when teachers go on a mission field or people that are translating the Bible, a lot of times that's like a two-year preparation Uh, or sometimes, you know, doctors, they have a lot of preparation to do after the degree. Um, Missions aviation work is an eight-year preparation period. And what happens is you need to get not only flying experience, but you also need to become a mechanic. That's what I'm currently doing right now. I'm in school to become a mechanic. I have some of the flying experience and trying to put those things together. That way when I'm on the mission field, if the plane breaks down in the wild, I can take a coconut, put it on a wheel, and I can take right off, right? (laughs) (laughs) So that's what Mission Aviation Works preparation is like. What it is, is being able to support other missionaries or causes that are going on. So for instance, it first started right after World War II, when these pilots that came out of War II were like, well, what can we do? How can we serve God with our gifts as we just learned to fly and we want to go serve God? And so they started uh, supporting Wycliffe Bible translators and bringing supplies deep into the Amazon and Peru and Mexico to so these places that would take days and days to reach by foot. They could reach only by a quick half an hour hop. It's very similar when we go down to Peru, the 12-hour boat ride that Pastor Robert makes sure he informs everybody about. So you're well informed. (laughs) It's a 12-hour boat ride. Uh, We took a plane, one of the admissions trips, and it was only a 15-minute plane ride. (laughs) So it's a 12-hour boat ride, but it's a 15-minute plane ride. So right now, it's using the best tools and resources we have right now to be able to glorify God. So anyway, that's kind of the idea of missions aviation work, and Cynthia and I feel that our skills and what God has prepared us to do aligns with that very well in doing disaster relief work or going and supporting uh, these things like Samaritan's Purse, and we don't know yet where God has called us to, but we do know he's called us to it, and so what we're doing our job to prepare for that and be able to, to become a good stewards for that. So I mentioned before that God placed in my heart the desire for aviation when I was a child. At that time, I didn't know that I was going to be serving him. If I would have had it my way, I would have been an airline pilot like my grandpa was. But he knew perfectly what he had planned for me. And so before I could put those plans into any kind of progress, he had to humble me like King Nebuchadnezzar, and he had to push me down and make it for years and years until I could look up and say, you are the Lord my God. And then I could finally understand that he was preparing me for this work. And it's been incredible to see how he supplied for those knees, like he supplied for Nehemiah from the King's Forest, where my instructor that I first started with 12 years ago, as a Christian guy, I still wasn't Christian, and we were doing some lessons, and he comes to me one day and he says, Peter, you know what? I'm not going to charge you for lessons anymore. I'm not going to charge you because I feel like God is going to do a work in you, and God is preparing you for something." I wasn't Christian, so I was like, "Cool, dude, that's great. <laughs> Whatever, you know? that's awesome. Thanks, I appreciate it. I like your God. This is great." <laughs> but you know that act of service from this guy—I mean, you—you know, you get paid 50 bucks an hour for training me. Said, "You know, I'm not going to charge you a dime because you're doing work." As well, there's another guy in the congregation that has allowed me to use his plane um, to be able to get the experience that I've needed to be able to be at the point where I'm at now. So it's just incredible. If God is calling you towards something, He's going to supply. He's going to work it out. It's not evident, it's not right away, you have to take that step out, you got to walk in faith, but ultimately, just like Nehemiah, you got to make that prayer, and you got to present your needs. And that's what we're here doing, too. We're here at the church, we're letting you guys know, we want you to be prayer warriors with us, and we want you guys to pray with us as we continue. We're still going to be here another year and a half, and then from there, I don't know what's going to happen. Only God knows. So we can see how God has supplied for our needs, and as we prepare for missions work, and he supplied for Nehemiah's needs to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then just to sum up briefly what happens in chapter three of Nehemiah. We're not going to read it. We're going to kind of blow through it, give you an overview. Yeah. So the people end up working all together to build the wall of the city. And then in the second part of the chapter, it lists out the people who had helped and build the different portions of the wall and gives an account. And that's basically, they just list out all the different families and groups, which is important when you look at the different genealogy of Jewish heritage and so forth. So everything that's in the Bible is important, but it kind of lists those out. So we're going to go to chapter four, verse one, if you can go there. Chapter four, verse one. So it says, but so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? So now Tobiah and the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So basically, they're they're mocking it. They're just saying, what are these guys doing? These are their enemies. These are actually the same people that were Driven out of Jerusalem and Israel back when Joshua came with the people of Israel, and they drove out these people. So, the same lineage of people, these are the people that are now mocking them, saying, What are these people doing? So, in verse four, it continues, it says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Churn their reproach on their own heads, and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity, and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Verse six. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. But nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. Very important. We made our prayer to our God. And because of them, verse 9, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build a wall. And our enemies said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was, when the Jews who dwelt near them came, that they told us 10 times, from whatever place you churn, they will be upon us. And so they were just taunting them. They're saying, nah, 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 we're here. We're going to destroy you. They're just trying to create this fear, right? So verse 13, it keeps going. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall. Everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah, those who built on the wall, and those who carried burdens, loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction, and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So you kind of get that picture real quick. She's going to explain some more. But there, Partially, they're working, and then they also got a sword, right? Or they got it right here. They're ready to go. So they're ready to fight, but they're still continuing. They have the mind to work, and they're continuing working on. It doesn't matter that they have all these offenses and these people coming towards them.
0: One may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This verse is from the book of Ecclesiastes, and this is at the very heart of the vision for this special Friday edition of Main Thing Radio. Jesus.